You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. This is a very special Rooted Discussions. It feels like it's been a while since we've done this, but I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and it has been a while, but it's nice to be back in the saddle. And, and yeah. Do you remember how to thing. do a Rooted Discussion? I was a little nervous because I was like, well, not only have we <laughs> not recorded a podcast in a while, we preloaded for the holiday season, so it's been almost a month. It's probably been a month since and, we've um, done this. Yeah, and then we haven't done a rooted discussion even longer than that. So I haven't even done discussion. Yeah, period. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been out of it. So, but it's yeah, it's it's nice to be back. Yeah. So we recently had that uh, that talk with Own Wormser. Yeah. Which really for us wasn't that recent ago, but for everyone listening, it was only two weeks ago. Yes. And um, and his whole point was we got to transition away from lawns and and move towards uh, meadows or native plant communities. Which uh, is a really good point, but it's not yeah. just going to go away. There's no, no. I mean, we always talk about tolerance and patience, mm-hmm. and and that's always realizing. Even though that's your dream case scenario, there's always going to be there's always going to be yeah. And it's, managed, well, realistically, lawn. we need managed lawn in yeah. a lot of cases. If you want to have a place for your kids to play, just in the backyard, you're going to need. Um, at least a little bit of managed lawn because you can't walk on native plants. They don't hold up to it. There's going to be parks. There's going to be athletic fields, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it's something that we always talk about with compassion and and patience that you always kind of have to be well-informed on both sides of the fence. It's okay to be passionate about how you feel, but make sure you're fully educated about how you feel and what what the other side is doing as well. Mm -hmm. And And it's not, and uh, I shouldn't say sides because it's, there's a lot of gray area and middle area and transition is more mm-hmm. there's there's all different parts along the way for that yeah i and guess that's a better way to even say brought it. it up long ago in our soils rooted discussion where we had uh dr stephanie murphy and she was talking about some of the benefits that lawns have as well but there's better ways to manage a, a lawn or turf grass yeah. than some of the ways that we're doing it or we know properties that, in general we know that that uh, mowers can put out pretty heavy emissions uh backpack blowers those kind of things can have negative effects on on our environment and um, and just even our quality of life. So we wanted to dig into that topic a little bit more and say, hey, what is that better way? And uh, so today we have uh, Richard McCoy, uh, Lori Jensen, and um, and Dan and Christine. I actually don't know your last, <laughs> last names, so that's something I usually clear up beforehand. But we also have Dan and Christine, and I'm going to have them uh, all introduce themselves a little bit. Um, but Richard, we're going to start out with you, and I want to first congratulate you on – and uh, well, first for being this your third time on the podcast, which I think is more than anyone other than Fran and myself. And uh, and second, well, how did you, that happen? Just up, we'll talk about the fourth time. <laughs> yeah. how, how did that happen? <laughs> and then uh, and then on top of that, you were recently named the NJNLA Horticultural Professional of the Year. So I want to give you congratulations for that as well. Well, I before I, I just want to ask because Tom is on that board and has a vote. Did you vote for? For Richard, uh, I are you allowed to say? Do you have to keep that quiet? I don't, Lori. Am I allowed to say <laughs> what I did? <laughs> but I'm just going to steer clear. No, percent. <laughs> no, it was uh, he was nominated by multiple people, okay. and it was a pretty clear choice on on who we had to select that year. I'm just yeah. joking. Yeah. You, you know, I love you. So, Richard, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Well, thanks, Tom. I appreciate that. 
Um, and Lori, being from the NJNLA, I also appreciate your input as far as that award goes. So thank you very much. Um, so I'm Richard McCoy, owner of Richard McCoy Horticultural Services. I've uh, been in the industry for about 30 years now. Started our company out as a conventional, you know, gas-powered, na- uh, non-native in- in- installing landscape kind of guy and transitioned our, our business to one that's sustainable, um, you know, installing green infrastructure, using battery-powered equipment, uh, backpack blowers, lawnmowers, um, and green infrastructure, native plants, and things like that. So we've taken a we've taken the approach that you know we know that there's another way to do it um, other than the conventional way, uh, and we've done it successfully, like I said, since 2005. And um, I look forward to being here with the rest of the group and, and talking about how we can. How we can take this industry a step a step ahead and above, and try to can you know transition folks from, you know, the conventional side over to the the more sustainable side, and, and understanding that you know people that that do want to, um, you know, just get rid of backpack blowers and all the gas equipment, all the things that the industry is accustomed to using, that there needs to be a transition period to get from that conventional to the to the more modern. Uh, way of thinking sustainably, organically, and, and green infrastructure way. So, um, I look forward to the rest of the day. Awesome. Before before we kick in, I just want to say what I love about what you said is that I agree with you 100. percent That there's a transition period. You, there can't be a, a cutoff, in my opinion, personally, because then there's no growth. It's mm-hmm. if you transition, you find better ways. Um, more efficient ways. It's it's natural progression. But when you just cut it off, it kind of ends that. And I kind of feel that sometimes when you do that, it's replaced with something even worse. <laughs> and 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 mm-hmm. you got to allow for that natural transition and that natural growth to to kind of get where you need to be. Um, so you kind of need all all sides, all all voices heard in order to find that that medium. But to backtrack mm-hmm. to start. For our customers – or our customers, for our listeners that may not really know where we're going with this, let's just start off very simple. What is sustainable land care in, in its most simplest terms? Right. So the way I sort of look at it, it you know, you're doing things with battery-powered equipment. You're doing things – you know, organic is a sort of muddy term, so we've sort of gotten to the, to the term – you know, there's a different way of looking at organics, right? So there's organic, there's regenerative, there's – bridge approaches and then they're straight conventional. So there's different ways of looking at that as far as turf management goes. Um, and then there's obviously native plants, green infrastructure. And like that. So under that umbrella of sustainable land care, all those things sort of fall in there. And within all of those areas, um, like I said, I started my company, you know, 25 years ago and in 2005, we started our transition. So that transition has taken some time. Um, you know, the turf side, we're always learning whether it's, you know, as far as anything we do, we're always learning something new. Um, but again, that transition is important. Like I said, we started in 2005 and to get to the point where we're at now, where we are using, you know, 90% all electric, you know, 98% all native plants species as much as possible, minimizing our turf where it's problematic, um, and, and in those areas where we're minimizing turf, we're installing, you know, native plant beds, whether it's a rain garden, bioswale, if it's a shady area, maybe just an understory of, of native woodland plantings. So it's all those sort of things that we're taking from the conventional side and transitioning it back to a more ecological way, which sort of brings people, you know, 
the humanity side of it back into nature, which is something, you know, we really don't do now. We look at nature from the window of our office or as we're going down the highway at 90 miles an hour. It's not, you know, we've gotten so far from what nature really is that it's really important that we start to look at things more sustainably and get outside and, and get into the gardens and visit the gardens and things like that. So, that's really what sustainable land care is. It's about, you know, reducing lawns, installing native plants, green infrastructure, um, you know, and within that green infrastructure, we're, we're, be, we're able to recharge aquifers because the, the water that we're collecting from storms or is, is percolating down into the ground and instead of running off into storm drains. Um, so it's sort of all those things that, that, that I'm talking about that make up that whole idea of sustainable logical land. And, and what, what, I love about that is that to me along your journey, that path is more meaningful because you kind of learned those lessons yourself. Like you can be mm-hmm. told and you may know, but there's a difference when you make that realization on your own and your own adjustments and come to that. It's amazing how much more I think you accomplish um, and what that message becomes because you're a part of it, that message at that point. You're not just, hey, uh, someone told me not to do this, so I'm not doing this. You you know firsthand why you've made these adjustments. You're more passionate. I could, I could speak, you know, our, our listeners will hear, but I can speak firsthand of, of your passion for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely says something as far as what that path has taken you. So that's your path. But and the industry as a whole, like beyond mm-hmm. you, what are, what are mm-hmm. some of the ways the industry has started to move towards this sustainable? Have you seen a different difference personally in the last 10 to 15 years? And what are some of the steps that you see being taken by other, other companies to do this? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, if you, if you, you know, you're on following Facebook and Instagram, you could see there, there's a lot of companies that are doing things with native plants um, and green infrastructure and things like that. The one, I think the one area where it's getting a, a little bit of a slow start uh, and, and a lot of this is due to greenwashing is, is the turf side of it. You know, a lot of folks may be, may be trying to do things organically or saying they're doing things organically and they're not, um, you know, which is a big problem. In, 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 and that's why I said earlier the term organic has gotten a bit muddy because there's really no, nobody telling anybody what the organic process is. It's really an honor system. You know, you, you take a NOFA class or an AGSA class or, you know, one of the courses from NJNLFA, and, um, you, you know, you're on your honor, really, as far as that goes. So, um, you know, the things I've seen happen along the way is I do see more more contractors getting involved in questioning the idea of using battery-powered equipment um, and, and, and using more native plants. So I, I do see that the, the, the industry is working towards getting better. Um, and moving t- more towards a sustainable way of doing things. Um, but again, I mean, it's, you know, in 1947, Levittown, Long Island was the first, you know, suburb that was really installed. And since then, it's been downhill. We've been using chemicals and gas-powered equipment ever since then. Um, so it's going to take a long time to turn that to turn that chip around and get us really focused and moving everybody in the same direction towards the sustainable side. That's that's a lot of people set in their ways, uh, mm. learning you know learning something in a certain way, and and that's a hard perception to change at that point. So you, you're really it is a hard battle at that point. So speaking of hard battles, you know you, you talked about some of the the steps that you've made and other companies have made, and one of the things that you talked about was electric equipment, which is fantastic as far as I'm concerned. Do you, do you even see opposition to that? You know, one of the things that we always talk about, like there's a big um, Hashtag leave the leaves, and we all know the benefits of, of doing that. Um, what are some of the 
the the blowback that you've gotten on on transitioning to electric equipment? Um, it's, it's funny, right? I just actually had a conversation with a contractor the other day who's a you know hardcore hardcore gas equipment guy, and mm-hmm. you know these no way he's going to go electric. And we were talking about it. He's like, you know, I was telling about the 48 mean green mower, the stand-on mean green mower they have. You know, it's 48-inch mower, all battery-powered. We get seven-plus hours on a day, and it goes, and it's great. And he's like, well, you know, isn't a lot more money? I'm like, well, yeah, it is, but you don't have any repairs, you know, per se. Yeah. And he's like, well, what about the hydros? Said, well, there are no hydros. And he's like, what about the belts? I'm like, well, there are no belts. You know, so there's all these things that, that they don't understand because, you know, and, you know, we'll get into the idea of education moving forward through, through this conversation, which is going to be a huge component of all of this on the industry side and the consumer side to understand what it is we're doing. Um, but as far as the pushback goes, it's really they just don't really understand the whole process. And, and, and what I'll do is I'll sort of equate it to, you know, you can drive a car with a stick or you can drive a car automatic. Really, it's the same idea. It's just a different process when you go from, from gas to electric. Um, and, you know, the mowers, I think the mowers have the same power. I think power's good. You know, the one drawback and the one, unfortunately, the biggest issue everybody's everybody's on about is the backpack blowers. And and they have a long way to go to catch up to gas, and, and, and which is good because, I mean, well, it's not good, but the, the approach that AGSA and Sustainable Princeton takes, you know, there's an allotment of time when, you know, the leaves are heavy in the spring or fall when it's, you know, it's okay to use gas. We're not saying that you have to completely get rid of it, but during those times of the summer when you don't need a gas backpack blower and a battery powered blower will do, you certainly can do that. Um, but as far as the pushback goes, it's just really the, the, the lack of understanding of what, what, what really equipment does and, and how to go about operating. All right. Awesome. So I think that's a great primer mm-hmm. as we move forward. Uh, Tom, do you want to introduce the next? Yeah. The next so, so, uh, our next up on the list is Lori Jensen, who is the, the executive director for the New Jersey Nursery and Landscape Association, which I'm a member of. And Fran I'm was a, former a, member. a board member of a long time ago. Wow, and 20, 20 years ago. Yeah, a long time, yeah. <laughs> a long time ago. But um, Lori, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and then uh, some of the, the bills that are being proposed in New Jersey that kind of relate to what Richard was talking about? Sure, sure. And again, thanks for having us here. It's a great, great discussion so far. So, Lori Jensen. I'm the executive director of the New Jersey Nursery and Landscape Association. Uh, So our mission is really to um, support all aspects of the green industry. We have members that are nursery growers, greenhouse growers, retail garden centers, and of course, landscape professionals. So we cover the gamut throughout the state. The association has been around for 100 years, over 100 years, not me personally, but the association. (laughs) So uh, obviously, our mission is to both educate and advocate for uh, the green industry professionals. So, uh, so there are two bills currently that are addressing this topic. Uh, now, we just started a brand new legislative session yesterday. So these two have actually been pre-filed uh, for the 2022 legislative session, which is what we're in right now. Uh, the one bill uh, was introduced on the Senate side, uh, and it is actually to um, ban the use of um, gas-powered leaf blowers. Uh, so that that's what it's um, uh, intended to do. Uh, there's some parameters around that. And um, this is what you said earlier about tolerance and patience. We just need to talk to the legislators about that because that's really what we need here. Um, 
the way it's written right now is that one year after the effective date of the bill being passed, uh, they are no longer able to be sold or distributed. Distributed. That's for two-stroke and four-stroke uh, gas or gas oil mixes. There uh, is then a four years after the effective date that you can't use them anymore. So four years. So um, then on the other side, and this is a bill that came through and uh, we, we didn't have any input on this, but this is where we were going with this, is there is a bill on the assembly side that actually directs the BPU, which is the Board of Public Utilities, to establish a rebate program for the purchase of electric or battery um, uh, leaf blowers. So currently it's just leaf blowers. What we wanted to actually introduce is a uh, bill that provides rebates for all non-gas-powered equipment purchases. That's what we're looking to do. Okay. So those are the two bills that are currently uh, being worked on. And like I said, the legislative session just started. So uh, to be determined what kind of action we have. Now, being a former member of the board, um, I understand the the tricky part of this, as for any organization, is that the New Jersey Nursery Landscape Association is looking out for all of its members, and I'm sure that that on a lot of these um, issues, it might be very divided. You may have people that it's like, "Good, let it let it be, man," and someone's like, "Whoa, this is this is affecting who we are." So how how does that affect? Like, what is the overall consensus that you're seeing from from the constituents of the or, or members of the NJNLA, and and how is how are these bills affecting that landscape community? That's a really good question. You're spot on with that, Fran. Uh, there's definitely people that are very, very concerned about this. And I think that's where the transition thing is very important that we do this right. It has to have a transition. It has to have education behind it. And it has to have some money behind it. So because if you think of a, a small landscaping company that might have just purchased a ton of equipment, it's difficult just to buy the equipment the way it is, but then to tell them that, you know, in four years, you're not going to be able to use that anymore, that that's difficult, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, there's definitely some education and some, some things that we need to do to make this right for everybody. Certainly people out there that are all, all for this, you know, we held that sustainable land car workshop back in the summer. We got some really great feedback. You know, the equipment is awesome, but yeah, we have a ways to go on this. And we'd actually like to see these two bills kind of merge into one so that there might be some transition to um, going to non-gas powered, but also have an incentive in there to make it easier for the, the pro. All right. Well, let's, that's what we'd like to see. Let's say this. In a perfect world, you, you get to write the legislation and it's just going to get passed. What would, <laughs> what, would you, what would you like to see included or what changes would you make or what would you, what would you add um, – I'm sure based on everyone, what they're thinking, there's – hopefully there's something that you would say, oh, yeah, easily we, we'd add ABC. How long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> no, but basically it is definitely, like you said before, there has to be some, some patience in this and some tolerance. I think uh, Rick mentioned before there's some periods of, of time where uh, it's going to be really hard to do the job with um, non-gas powered that I think, you know, we, we need to be aware of those critical times when, uh, you know, we might need to use gas powered. So if, 
in a perfect world, I'd probably ask for that. Uh, definitely on the financial side, as far as a rebate is concerned, you know, it, it's it's a difficult thing to to purchase. I know, you know, the ROI, which Dan will certainly talk about in a little bit, is is definitely better with the um, the battery, uh, but. But you got that upfront purchase, so let's let's give them some incentive and and some some help. So uh, there is money in the uh, New Jersey Clean Energy Program that we would like to see uh, earmarked for this transition. Uh, let's see what else I can ask for. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely lengthen the transition period so it's not a burden for the pro. Mm-hmm. It, I'll stop there. No, well, I, I could think, ask for more. I, I but think I'll stop there. A lot of this is coming about also because there is a growing movement towards sustainable land care, mm-hmm. and those voices are getting louder. You know, but like like anything else, you you applaud that and you appreciate that, but you have to. To me, you have to to move forward the, with that with the. With the same approach as being educated about what you want and what you're asking for and how that affects everyone and what's the best way to move forward towards that. So, you know, because we all have <clears throat> our best intentions, but are, you know, like anything else, any industry, are there, are there, do either side, are there, are there movements that, that get a bad name because of a few bad apples doing the wrong thing and it gets generalized to the whole industry? I'm not sure if that's a question for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we could table that. We could table. Maybe we okay. can make that a group discussion at the end. Yeah, because I yeah I would like to to mention that too. And I think a lot of times um, some of the complaints that people have heard um, come from um, because we're all working from home now too. But it's not always the pro that's the one that's um, making the loud noises. You know, like it's it's not always just. Mm-hmm. Um, the professionals. So something we can talk about further. One other thing, because um, I had an ask in there that I didn't put in, and that's certainly the education. If I didn't mention it, this whole process uh, and Sustainable Princeton, you did it right. You know, I think it needs to be not only education, but it needs to be buy-in from the people, the end users. So we'd like to engage in that uh, early on and throughout the whole process. It needs to be uh, education and buy-in from, from the community. We, we definitely want to approach education as we move forward, and we know we have those questions uh, kind of built in. So we're definitely going to uh, talk about that as we move forward. But let's move on to yeah. our next guest. Yeah, so Dan, we're going to hit you next, and uh, and you are with the American was it Green Zone Alliance. Is that that's the right name, right? Yes, that's correct, Tom. Yeah, and so you've not only seen this, it, that's an organization that's uh, national. So you have, aren't just seeing that in New Jersey, you're seeing – things like this pop up all over the country. Um, can you tell us a little bit, well, one, about yourself and then how you're seeing this being tackled in other areas? Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, nice to see some familiar faces and hear familiar voices, uh, Christine, Lori, Richard, and nice to meet both you, Tom, and and, and Fran. Uh, my name is Dan Mabe. Uh, I'm with the American Green Zone Alliance. I'm the founder and the current president and uh, my background comes from the, the grounds maintenance industry. Um, as a kid, I was uh, by circumstance in a household where the, the man in the house was a high volume gardener. So I started in this business um, at a very young age and um, spent my summers and weekends doing it. And then 
later on, uh, after I got out of college, I, I went back to the industry, uh, briefly started a gas company, and then kind of had an epiphany. And it was in the mid-2000s where I said, you know, I, I'm going to try something completely different and, and start a, an all-electric business. And I had uh, purchased solar panels, put a solar design on the van back then, had a, had a hybrid van back then. It was actually natural gas and, and regular gas. That was the hybrid back yeah. then. Yeah. But we, we tried to do as much as we can do. So, so, so that's my background. And um, I'm so, so sorry, Tom. What was the actual question? <laughs> so, no, the, the first question was, what was your background? The second aspect is you've been – with this organization, you're seeing these kind of things pop up all over the country. Um, what are some of the ways that you've seen uh, other states or, or, or areas roll out this kind of uh, equipment bans or, or legislation? Can, can I can I preempt that question? Yeah. Is that possible? Just oh, go ahead. On, on it's, something it's our that... podcast. Right? We can do whatever <laughs> we want. <laughs> Dan, you know, just you mentioned your business and when you went all electric. How was that? How was that received at first when you started that, and how did how did that grow for you? Like when you were doing it, I'm assuming there weren't very many people doing it. Did you did you did you have to do a lot of footwork to get people to buy into that, um, or was it well received and it exploded? And and do you did you see more and more competition popping up as you became successful? You, you know, great question. Actually, um, it was well received. Okay. Once word of mouth got out, we we did grow really fast. Like within a year and three months, we had close to 58 clients. Wow. And at our peak, we had almost 70. And it was, it was so daunting that I started uh, experimenting with lithium batteries and making my own lithium batteries to interface with tools that were on the market. Because I started out with things with cords and nickel cadmium, sealed lead acid technologies, very archaic to what we have now. Um, so after that, I said, you know, I, I definitely have a higher calling. I broke up this route, endowed it to five individuals, gave them equipment, and basically AGSA was born then because mm-hmm. I had to train them and, and essentially certify them to do it this specific way. And, and that is how it evolved. Surprisingly, though, there was not a lot of competition to follow. Okay. Um, so. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised at that. Um, and then to go back to Tom's question, I apologize, just with how, how are you seeing these issues tackled in different parts of the country? Yeah, I mean, first of all, AGSA is about solutions. Um, we we are very neutral on bans and regulation and ordinances. Um, we do support prudent ones that will include that workforce training and and that support for industry. And also, just really quick, I'm sorry I have to say this, it's not just industry that needs to be educated. It's the, the, the property owners who higher industry and have these expectations and probably seven out of 10 of them still have that expectation going back three, four decades where they want everything hyper manicured perfectly. So everyone needs to be educated. Um, As far as moving the needle, I know that 
some of the project work we've done, especially the institutional project work where we've helped with our structured system convert entire cities, universities, school districts, um, governmental agencies are very quick to point out those successes, but what's missing is the process of which we got there. And again, it was including industry uh, as stakeholders um, and, and then that education, training, and certification process. Um, it's not just, hey, we have great uh, lithium electric tools, let's call it a day. It is far from that. Did, did, did AGSA have a role in the gas equipment ban in California at all? We did. Um, we, we worked uh, very closely with the uh, author of the bill. And, and other co-authors uh, definitely gave a lot of insights. And to their credit, they took our advice to understand as much as possible the complexities of our industry and, and the small business owner. And, and we did point out, okay, this category of source, small off-road engines, uh, you might want to narrow it down. We gave them very data-driven um, analysis of our projects regarding what tools can realistically uh, in, in terms of economic and workload feasibility be replaced. And then they asked us our suggestion, you know, what, what would be the funding mechanism uh, for this? How much? And, um, and then we also testified for the Senate committee um, and, and gave them some of this on record. So in that respect, yes, um, we, we did help uh, usher it along, and nobody from all sides, if you're going to call sides, uh, was entirely happy with something. Uh, maybe that's a good thing, uh, but definitely we were in there uh, fighting for the, 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 the man, the woman, uh, the, the people uh, getting up every morning and, and doing this line of work for a living. Yeah. I, the, what I would lead into, what's really fascinating to me is the whole – uh, idea of batteries powering a lot of this equipment. Um, and you were even mentioned how you built your own batteries back in the day. But uh, I think when people think about that, you're thinking about your phone battery. It always seems like your phone's dying too fast. Everything you have that's battery operated just dies real fast. It seems like batteries are kind of the key to a lot of this. With this larger scale equipment, what's the life life expectancy or life cycle of the battery in, in there? And how far have we come mm, yeah. since since this has started? You, you know, a great, great questions. Uh, cradle to grave cycle life potential batteries are going to be determined by obviously a lot of factors, temperature ranges, um, how their the, the charging habits of the of the crews using them, um, what kind of cells are being sourced by the manufacturer, which eighteen six fifty cylindrical cells, which that's the standard cell for most of the lawn and garden equipment. Um, and then the different chemistries of lithium will factor into all that. But I will give you some averages. If the equipment is taken care of properly, we have green zones in place, certified green zones, commercial green zones, where there's equipment that is going on nine and a half years. Now, those batteries, the original batteries, their run times are 30 to 35 percent of their original run times uh, that's called appreciative mm -hmm. decline in the ability to hold its original charge but yes they can last a very long time and they can even be repurposed for other applications which again i'm sure you were going to ask about recycling mm -hmm. and and the issue with 
with, you know, what we know is uh, lithium batteries after their serviceable life are, are deemed hazardous waste, but they can last a very long time in the lawn and garden applications. But the caveat is proper training, proper care, and, and the knowledge uh, to get them to that type of lifespan. Awesome. I think I think we've done a really good job covering, you know, what the what the issues are, what we're thinking, and then looking at it from a national standpoint. But how about a local standpoint? So that's where we kind of transition to Christine. If you would like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and Sustainable Princeton, we'd love to hear it. Thank you, Fran. Um, I'm Christine Symington. I'm the program director at Sustainable Princeton. We are an independent nonprofit, but we work very closely with our local government and uh, other members of our community on a number of sustainability initiatives. Um, one of the initiatives that we took a lead role in um, a few years ago was helping the town to develop a climate action plan, which set goals on how it was going to reduce emissions and how to be more resilient to climate change. And in that plan, there were um, several actions uh, in the natural resources section and the resiliency section um, that had to do with how we take care of our green spaces and our private properties and, and our yards and, and the role they play in um, helping us be more resilient to climate change. And we also had actions in there that uh, relate to um, our workers and our frontline community members who bear the brunt of the effects of climate change. Um, so our role has been to sort of convene folks um, in the community to tackle issues and help everyone, you know, decide on a plan to go forward. And um, sorry, I'm remiss at thanking everyone for um, <laughs> including us in, in this in this podcast. Uh, it's great to meet you. Um, Tom and Fran and, and Lori, I've heard a lot about you from Richard, and it's great to see Richard and Dan. They um, have been so patient in getting myself and my colleagues up to speed on this complicated issue, and um, everything I know about battery-powered equipment and um, commercial landscaping, I learned from them, um, and uh, it's, it's great to be on the podcast with them. So is this... <laughs> For 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 sustainable Princeton, is this something that the community was aware of and was asking for and more moving towards, or was this more yeah. of a surprise as as it went this way? Is it is it what they wanted or what they thought they wanted? Um, just kind of we're looking at sometimes you want something and you don't know <laughs> if you really want it until you have it. So is is this something that everyone was kind of working towards, and this is what prompted this, or? Um, is it something that was felt that was needed? I'd say there was a confluence of events that okay. um, was certainly brought to the fore with the pandemic. There were advocates in the community, most notably a group called Quiet Princeton that had been advocating for eliminating the use of gas-powered equipment, namely leaf blowers, for many, many years. Um, and um, it, it is no secret that when the pandemic started, when people were working from home or learning from home, that they really started to notice the noise from the gas-powered leaf blowers. And, you know, add, you know, the stress and the anxiety of the pandemic on top of, you know, this noise, and 
there was a real upswell in the community. Um, there was a petition started by members of the community. They went to our environmental commission. We went to the council and they asked the local government to, to do something about it. Um, you know, sort of around the same time, um, Sustainable Princeton was, you know, looking for opportunities to advance our climate action plan actions that had um, that had a focus on environmental justice. Uh, there is an organization called Partners for Places that specifically funds projects that bring local governments, frontline community members, and organizations that support them, and environmental groups together to work on issues that advance a sustainability initiative that is equally an environmental justice initiative. Um, And so we submitted a grant with uh, a number of project partners um, and did receive the grant to lead the effort, which was more about the ban. As a nonprofit, we are are 501c3. Uh, We don't get involved with writing legislation or pining on legislation. Our role is to bring people together so that they have a space where they can work on common issues. And with this specific project, our role was to create a literal and figurative space for our frontline community members, our landscaping community, to have an equal say in any policy or program that was going to affect them. We sought to follow the environmental justice principles that any policy or program um, should, the people who are affected by it most should have an equal say. They should have a seat at the table. Um, We don't opine on what their policy should be. Our role was to make sure that their voices were kept um, highlighted and elevated throughout the process. How, how, and we hope that that process sort of follow through with how things transpire at the state level. Um, so that is really what our role is, is to make sure that the people who are most impacted have a say in what is going to effect, eventually effectively impact them and their business. How, how hard is it when, when everyone has an equal say, how hard is it to weed through those voices? Because obviously you're getting – a lot of voices, maybe from a lot of different extremes. How, like, it's to really me, hard. that's, 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 a, <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say. It's really hard. And so uh, our effort was trying to create the meeting structures in the forums so that there was constructive discussion. Um, and we, we ourselves, and I personally try to start from a, a position of what do I not know about the other person here that I need to know? Uh, we don't set out assuming that there's opposition and we need to do our internet research, come up with a point by point, you know, um, uh, argument that we're going to have this debate. We try to start from a position of where do we have common ground? What can we agree on? Um, and how do we move forward on the things on which we agree? And that change happens conversation by conversation and through listening and trying to seek understanding. Um, and that we will not always agree 100% on everything. But if there are some things that we can agree upon, we can make progress on that. 
So I have I have two more questions, and I'm trying to figure out which one to ask first. So I one of one of the things we hear from mainly in our our Facebook group is that we have people that are that have concerns about their local community with a lot of these issues, and they don't know where to start, and they're unsure where to begin, and they just have a lot of questions, but they just don't know where to go. So. You know, for someone in your in your area or your community, what what advice or recommendation could you give to someone where to go with these concerns? Uh, I would start with your town's local boards, committees, and commissions. Um, many of them will have an environmental commission. I would start there. They probably have a board of health or a, a health commission because this is a health issue as much as it is an environmental issue. I would start there. Um, and start asking questions and finding out if there are others in your community who have similar concerns. Um, and look to organizations like AGSA. Look to the, um, you know, or look, try to find the people who know something about this and um, educate yourself first and then have an open mind when you go about trying to move things forward and where was sustainable princeton born how was how was it born so we've been a nonprofit for 10 years um we were born through a process that happened in the community where uh, there was a sustainability plan that was um uh, led by our environmental commission and that led to having a sustainability coordinator um, which turned into um, a two-person part-time um, nonprofit with an executive director, and we are now four full-time people um, 10 years into being a nonprofit. Wow, that's awesome. So I guess my last question, and I, I kind of steered away, we, t- we kind of talked about the community and, and what their reaction was and whether they felt they needed or not. What was the landscape community, <clears throat> uh, the professional landscape community in Princeton, how – how has this affected them and how was their reaction to this? Um, I think their initial reaction uh, when we went about trying to actively engage with them and that engagement, you know, driving around town and seeing who was doing work in our town and, and following up with them and calling them and, and emailing them and sending them letters, asking them to fill out surveys. Um, when I think, there was a, a level setting that need to happen. Uh, what I learned is they were very well informed about what the latest technology is. They know, you know, what tools are out there, what their limitations are, what their challenges are. Um, and uh, I think there, when they, they, when they heard that the town was, you know, really seriously considering some, some bans and restrictions, I think they they first thought, oh, the town's looking to ban all gas-powered equipment, you know, right away, and only for them. They 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 thought it was only going to be something that they um, had to follow. So our, our real first, you know, in-person um, meeting with landscapers. Um, once we made that clear that you know that that there was um, an intention to make sure that this was fairly implemented, it really opened the door to, you know, moral constructive conversation. So it was really just, you know, understanding what their initial concerns were um, and 
of finding out where there was some agreement and, and um, the, the way those conversations were led were um, led by asking questions like, you know, when can you live without a gas powered leaf blower? And that would lead to, that led to the seasonal restrictions. And, you know, I, I can't recall if it was Lori or, 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 or who brought this up earlier, it, you know, something that really clicked with me personally was the word co-responsibility. Property owners are co-responsible for this change. They often said, we are just doing what our customer wants. And if you want this change to happen, you need to educate the customers as well. And our organization has taken that really to heart. That is our wheelhouse is education. And so we tried to, you know, earn the confidence of the landscaping community to let them know we take that seriously. We have a role to play in educating the consumer as well as um, working with you to help you transition and that there is a co-responsibility. There's a shared responsibility to bring this change about. And I lied. I have one more question. <laughs> how how has this ordinance affected neighboring municipalities? Have have you seen a ripple effect uh, since this has happened? You know, it's really too soon to tell. I mean, the seasonal restriction only uh, went into effect on December fifteenth. Okay. Um, uh, so I have not heard of any neighboring municipalities. You know, moving things forward. Uh, I think that um, knowing that the state um, has put forth some proposed legislation, I think, uh, you know, probably what our neighboring communities will do is, you know, just try to follow what the state is doing rather than have to come up with their own set of ordinances. So we hope that um, that the state will follow the process we tried to follow, which is making sure that those most impacted have a seat at the table in the decision-making. So we're reaching out to some of the um, Hispanic uh, frontline community organizations to make sure that they're aware of these bills so that they can participate in the process um, and that the whatever the state decides or doesn't decide to do um, it takes into account their perspective. Okay. So what what I'm happy with after this great lead-in, we still have plenty of time for group discussion. I was worried about that. <laughs> I was worried about that. But I think we have a really good starting block and a good basis to kind of really dive into this. We've kind of covered all the bases. So I, I, Tom and I wanted to just throw a couple questions out there to the whole group and have everyone, everyone weigh in. You know, because we we've we've talked a lot about ordinances or bans, and in everyone's opinion, do you think that ordinances ordinances or bans are a good thing or a bad bad thing in general? I know that's a loaded gun. I know <laughs> I, I realize what I'm asking, but I would love to hear all the feedback on 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 either side. Yeah, I'll jump in um, before I before I go there. Um, what I'd like to just touch on is what Christine was saying is that, like I mentioned earlier. This industry, you know, born whenever back in the 1940s, 1950s, using gas-powered equipment, things like that, the society has been driven to a point where 
commercialized landscaping has taught them that they need to have a weed-free lawn. They need to have a leaf-free lawn. And everything needs to be manicured, you know, and cut within an inch of its life. And I think that goes into part of the education. And the way Sustainable Princeton did it was great. I was in on those meetings, and the, and the conversations back and forth were awesome. And the approach that they took reaching out to the community, homeowners and the landscape contractors, was tremendous. Um, and that's you know, hard. If it were up. If it were up to me, I would have I would have added another week to the leaf blower blank ban because I didn't think they needed that extra <laughs> that extra week two weeks in there. So, um, you know, the, the landscape contractors should be happy to have people like Christine and them on their side. So, um, I think Sustainable Princeton did an awesome job. And again, it's really the idea that this ingrained societal approach to landscaping is the problem, right? So that it, you know, I'm not going to say that the industry is not at fault because we certainly are. We have our blemishes. But we also have a level of care that customers are used to seeing. And, you know, therein lies the problem. You know, the, the ingrained 1950s approach to landscaping is not going to satisfy us moving forward. Um, ecologically, it's not going to help us. I mean, if we can't start getting you know, native plants back in our, in our gardens and properties, we're going to have a problem, you know, if we don't get our pollinator species back and way avian species are declining because we don't have lepidopter species because their food sources aren't around because of habitat fragmentation and pesticide use. It's just a big snowball that really, that really got rolling. And now, you know, we need to try to restrain that snowball to, to some effect and slow things down and have everybody realize that we are in this together and that the approach is that, like I said, sustainable Princeton and having, having an association like the NJNLA step out and, you know, you know, for their total pro expo in February, first and second, they have a sustainable land care day. Mm-hmm. First one that I'm aware of that a major industry association is doing that. So there's a lot of people that have a lot of, a lot of hands and things. And I think it's going to go a long way in improving not only the industry's um, reputation, but also it's going to go a long way for, you know, that homeowners see that the industry is trying to do things different and, and get things up to speed to where, you know, the people that are yelling the most that don't want backpack blowers at all, can find a way to somehow be satisfied with the fact that we are trying to move forward um, with the industry. I have a curious sub-question on that, and I could be completely off, but given the way society's changed over the last decade with social media um, and now COVID, do people know how to have that conversation when you get them together anymore? Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's, it's not like it used to be 30 years ago. It's I, I don't – conversation – the art of conversation has changed and, and just sometimes even the thought of having these conversations, I get anxiety-ridden, <laughs> not knowing what will be said back. Um, like in even talking about ordinances or things like that, are there good conversations being had or is it hard to get to that point um, or has it changed over time? And uh, take a stab at that. I think it made our job harder. We had to put a lot more thought in preparing for the meetings that we put together for elected officials and the landscaping community together. We had to um, do a lot of things to get people out of that habit of um, just doing internet research and forgetting that um, someone's lived experience is extremely valuable to, it doesn't replace your, 
your internet research on a particular topic that you care about. And, you know, we tried to make those sessions um, transpire in a way where people could see the, the human, um, you know, that was there, not some opposition to, you know, we did things that, you know, with all COVID protocols in place, like there was food, the, the, the time before and after the actual discussions were as equally important as the discussions because that was where you were building community. That's where you were forming bonds. And I, I, with the pandemic, we've, we've definitely gotten away from, you know, trying to connect to one another on a human level. And we really put a lot of thought in trying to make that happen. And it was definitely harder because we were all in our silos. We all sort of get into these... Um, patterns of thinking that um, leads us to forget that the, the landscape and community and, and the people who are advocating for this are neighbors, right? We are all part of the community um, and we need to how to figure out how to solve problems constructively. Uh, and I could see how that could be a challenge. It's, you know, and that, that kind of leads us into the, the next kind of wave of questioning. Well, real, real oh, quick. Oh, sure, Dan. please. Sorry. Sorry, Dan. I'm going to go ahead and, and chime in. Our, I'd love that. Uh, ordinance, good or bad thing. Uh, first of all, um, I, I want to second uh, what Richard said uh, with Sustainable Princeton. They they brought in AGSA and QCI, Quiet Communities, our nonprofit uh, collaborator. We do a lot of work with them. Uh, they, you, you know, we get called in to clean up messes sometimes after ordinances and bans have been passed. They went to extraordinary lengths to to reach out to the other side. So it was a pleasure to work with them. And Christine mentioned food. They they fed us quite well. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, they can be good and bad. Um, and and it, it it's all in the approach. Again, um, don't mean to be a broken record here, but if an, or, an ordinance is punitive and it lacks any empathy for who it's going to impact, uh, then then it's not a good ordinance. It's bad. Um, there there can be good regulation and, and bans and, and restrictions and ordinances if they're prudent and they're measured. And again, and we're, we're all saying this now, solar industries, EV industries have enjoyed incredible amounts of support and subsidies. And I mean massive. Our industry, we're at the bottom of the rung. And I think it's time that, that we are able to partake in some of that because we need it sorely. So uh, again, if there's going to be a ban, a regulation, an ordinance, a good one would be to have all of those supporting elements. Awesome. Yeah. And oh, you go, friend. No, I was going to ask if anyone else wanted to weigh in. I, oh, I would just yeah. say that I agree with what Dan said 100%. I think, you know, you have to meet people where they're at, number one, as it relates to communication. And so maybe not everybody is going to be comfortable uh, coming to meetings or whatever. So, you know, use various means of communication. Uh, we try to do, you know, all different types of communication, both to the public end and to, to the professionals. Uh, and again, the same thing with the ordinance. They need to be 
or ordinances in general. They need to be well thought out. They need to to consider all of the players that it affects. And again, communication is key. People need to know what's going on. They need to, they don't want to be blindsided and they need to be able to plan. So good or bad, but uh, if they're done thoughtfully and correctly, they're, they could be a good thing. Now, I know you kind of mentioned it's a, it's a give or take, and it sounds like in a lot of these issues, it's been a great give and take uh, process. But how how far apart is the gap between the different sides? You know, starting off, are is it a huge gap? Are people close? Is it are both sides educated? Because I really want to move towards education. Is it is there an understanding? A big gap, small gap? Just like starting off, did did you did you understand what you were in for <laughs> when when this process started? I would say there's a big education gap. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's narrowing, um, and and I think there's there are a couple different use cases, right? So there's the homeowner that takes care of their own yard, and what what they understand, they would say, well, I, I go to Ace or Lowe's and I see this gas powered leaf blower, and it's only two hundred three hundred dollars. And it's fine for me. I can tidy up my lawn. I don't understand why the, the landscaping community says the technology isn't there. And their frame of reference is very different. That's a different use case. And, and Richard and, and Dan really educated me on this and, and talking to the landscapers. Uh, that is um, a, a lot of people's perception and the, why they would say, well, why can't you pass an ordinance? The technology's there. And Prince is very well educated community and very educated people would, would, would show me like, see, this is the technology is there. And I would have to explain, well, you need to think about the other use case. So there, there is a lot of edu- there's a big education gap and it's early days and the, in, in, you know, the battery transition for um, many things. So um, we have to understand what, it really requires to do the, the, the change. So there is a big education gap, um, I would say. And if, if I can answer the question about, you know, are ordinances a good thing or a bad thing? I, I've said uh, we are not pro-ordinance. We are not anti-ordinance. We are pro-good ordinance. We are pro a process that um, uh, involves the people, as I've said, in making the decisions But ordinances in and of themselves, and we've been talking about this, without education, without incentives, without uh, management decision and procurement change happening, uh, we won't get there as fast if we do one of them in isolation. Um, And so it was heartening to see that the the state, um, that the assembly put forth a um, you know, something about funding and helping to fund the transition. Um, you need to do all of those things consecutively, or not consecutively, you know, at the same time. Education plus policy plus um, the infrastructure and the technology and uh, procurement decisions making. They have to happen all at the same time. One of them without the other isn't going to get us there. Now, towards Dan and, and, and Richard, both of you, I, I consider leaders because you saw an opportunity um, in, a, in a process to take your business in another direction that was very successful. Do you think a good portion of the industry has no idea of those opportunities that are out there for them uh, as far as education as, as what consumers want 
or may need. Yeah, I think they're missing a big opportunity, friend. I, I you know, if I, I know contractors like myself that are doing things that are moving towards that, you know, are using organic turf management and using native plants, green infrastructure, all the things we're talking about. Now they're making the move to battery power. Some of those companies are making, you know, 20%, 15, 20% net profit, you know, and growing 30, 40% a year, you know? So I would love to see the industry get caught up with that, but by the same token, you know, myself and people like us who are doing work like this, I'll take that 30, 40, 50% every year and run with it if nobody else is going to do it because that market's there, you know? I, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I def- there's definitely a market for it. I mean, Dan said yeah, you, you started that business and said, surprisingly, you didn't have much competition. Uh, correct. It, it took a, a long time uh, for, for others to finally start cropping up within the last uh, couple years. Um, but, you know, out of roughly, I think, 600,000 registered landscape maintenance and installation companies, um, there's under 300 self-published all-electric companies, although um, AGS's entire uh, platform now is education. Um, and, you know, we are really receiving a lot of inquiries and, and people really, there's, there's a need for the information. Um, but the, the reasons for those needs are, are many. Um, I do want to point out uh, one thing is safety. If it, Let's just say you have an independent proprietor who is going to start to take home. Uh, they either live in an apartment or um, um, even a single family home. They're going to start taking multiple batteries and chargers and things like that. They're, they're going to have to have solutions to safely charge their battery banks at home especially if it's going to be more than just leaf blowers. So that's something that we really want to stress is the, um, the, uh, the safety aspect of it. Also, uh, we were really making a hard push for repurposing lithium batteries and, and, and going to make sure that we're responsible in the fact that, hey, we want to help facilitate this change. We want to do it prudently, but we also want to be responsible and not create another issue, um, you know, so, while solving another. And then, and then lastly, um, really quick, I just wanted to, I wrote a note down. I'm sorry. Supply Don't chain be sorry. Issues. Yeah. Supply chain issues. They're real. And, and, and they are front and center. And you will read articles from people that are not from this industry, but they want bans. They want to basically eliminate all gas leaf blowers. And believe me, uh, when I'm woken up by them on Sunday morning across the street, I will go out there and handle the situation. I'm frustrated too, no doubt about it. Um, But when you see these articles that say it's as easy as just going to this website and buying one of these models, um, there have been no vetting done at all by the people writing those articles. And, and the articles really focus on what's bad. And then it's equally frustrating to see that they're putting up uh, things that are researched on the internet, like Christine had mentioned, where, okay, the cost of lithium is coming down, but working with the actual manufacturers for so long as it has and currently do, we know that the price of some of these tools may be going up and that there's legitimate um, supply chain issues where there's going to be delays to get equipment. So I just encourage 
when there's regulation, like state regulation that is being considered that maybe contingencies are, are written into the regulation just in case there is these supply chain issues which are real that they're not going to be dead in the water and not be able to use anything man you just i was writing furiously through that if if i can kind of shift it towards richard for a second just to ask a couple questions based on what dan said since you started making this transition do you feel that this option you know at least for right now overall is a more expensive option towards your customer and since you've started to make this transition, is it a safer environment for your workers? Um, yes, to the to the to the employees. Yes, it's safer. Okay. But I mean, there's still, even though it's electric, there's still safety precautions yeah. you have to take. Yes, of course. You know, I mean, just because it's a battery powered string trimmer doesn't mean you shouldn't wear safety glasses. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's quieter. You're still going to have things flying up in your face. Um, you know, the mowers they're they're much quieter. You know, but we still follow the same protocols that you would if it was if you're using gas equipment. Okay. Same PPE that you're going to wear no matter what. Um, you know, you obviously don't have the exhaust issues that you have with gas. Um, I think the tools that we use. I think Axel was great in helping us, helping guide us towards the equipment that we use um, when we first started working with with Dan and his group. Uh, you know, I think they're well balanced, and I think the runtime's great. I think some of the in some cases the equipment's lighter than than gas. Um, which is easier on the guys. Um, and then as far as cost goes, well, everything's going up now, Fran. Yeah, that's true. Oh, <laughs> I guess it's hard to gauge we're, we're, right now. Yeah, we're, we're sort of analyzing our, co- our cost structure for the next season, and, and, and we're, we're going to be raising our rates just like everybody else. Yeah. Okay. Um, but if, if you have to look at it from last year, when, we, when you know, last year was when we purchased our, our electric mowers and really got – you know, we got AGSA certified. We're New Jersey's first AGSA certified company. And, you know, we started moving forward with the electric really, you know, really put a, a substantial push to it last year. Um, we didn't raise our prices and our net profit was down maybe 5%. Okay. You know, so, yeah, there's there's definitely a cost issue. Um, but, again, with that said, we are not a mow and blow company either, right? So, yeah. It, within this industry, there are different types of, of business models. So our company is when we go and mow and, and do our weekly or biweekly maintenance, our, our, our team may be on the property. They have to mow, they have to weed heads, they may do an organic, you know, vinegar herb, herbicide application. Um, you know, we don't just put our heads down and go. We're a higher end, um, more meticulous sort of style of, you know, gardening and, and, and higher end landscape company. Well, it's not a product. It's a service and, and, and services are valuable. Because not everyone can provide that service. Tom, you were – I know you were I was going to say I want to take like a big, big, big step back here okay. that I don't think we have really answered. But what, why Why is electric better than gas? Um, I, well, I'll jump in there. If, uh, you know, it, uh, electric is definitely more efficient than than internal combustion um, technology that, that, that there's no two ways about it. Um, there, there definitely is going from the worker perspective again, and, and Rick just mentioned it and we place a high priority on worker health, uh, ags it does, um, you know, they're, they're not exposed to breathing in the fumes. Mm-hmm. Um, since there's no maintenance on the small gas engine, you don't need to use any of the, um, 
various uh, products that exist on the market that, that, you know, if they're not used properly can uh, uh, expose uh, people maintaining small gas engines with the, the stuff that's used to, to, to maintain them. Um, workload production capability. AGSA is very forthright and honest. Uh, let's just talk about the blower because they're always uh, first in line. There is not an electric commercial blower on the market today that is going to do what the gas ones do at roughly 34 newtons mm-hmm. of force. That being said, um, our process, the behavior modification, um, the education is to say, hey, look, there is a different way to do this with you know, modifying your operations and you can benefit from this. Um, the cost is definitely an issue up front. Mm-hmm. We have seen the worst of it, Tom, and, and the best of it. The worst of it is they they make investments in thousands, tens of thousands of dollars of tools, batteries, chargers, and they don't last a year. Then they have chosen a tool line where the manufacturer and their retailers, um, their distributors and retailers, they extend this warranty interaction. Okay, it's a game. And, and they're not able to have quick warranty exchanges and, and have their issues dealt with. It, it has just been a disaster, frankly, and there is no ROI. We've seen the best of it where tools were taken care of. They were trained to mount their tools, to take care of them, to set up proper uh, charging infrastructure. And we have seen them get to their ROIs on handheld tools in two and a half years, as early as two and a half years, um, to three years for the large mowers, um, two years even in some places that will be extended to five years in places where mowing shuts down entirely for the season, but they did get there and then they get into what we call the gravy period. And, and that is where they have the ROI on their electric fleets and they're going to be able to use those electric fleets for the next year, two, three, even four. And, and that is where they can experience increases in their margins for maintenance. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I wanted to move towards it. Tom, did you have a, Oh yeah. I kind okay. Of do. Sorry. Go ahead. So, cause I, personally, I, I've been transitioning to a lot of electric, like just for, for home use stuff, but I know the, the, uh, string trimmer I bought is a piece of crap, <laughs> like all that. It doesn't hold up. Is that different on a commercial level? I, I guess I, it's, it's so you're, yeah. I see you nodding. Yes. Yeah. Just real quick. Um, we actually take the electric tools out there mm-hmm. with the gas tools yeah. and we measure work production rate times with professionals using them. A prof- we, we just say, okay, use it like you would normally use this one, then use that one. And we time it. And, and then we give our clients and our uh, base, this information, the raw X's and O's no more, no less, but there are definitely plenty of weed whips out there that are going to have the capability to perform like a, a four stroke or, or two stroke gas counterpart. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on on which ones. Awesome. All right, Fran, back awesome. over to no, you. No, that's yeah. okay. I wanted to <laughs> go back towards yeah. education. And uh, early on, I threw a question out about do is there a few bad apples to get it, 
give the industry a bad name. And I've been kind of like stewing over that as we talk because I'm thinking, you know, I guess there's two ways you can look at that, and maybe I'm wrong, but hopefully you, as as things change and you see opportunities in education, you're going to have those people that are that are as educated on the topic, say industry-wise, and there's always someone that, that kind of ruins it for everyone else because they're doing the wrong thing. So either they can get more educated or they adapt or die. You know, it's it's you change what you're doing or maybe some of these people that are giving the industry a bad name kind of mm-hmm. slowly go away because it's easy to do what your customer – just do what your customer asks you to do, but it's different to listen to what your customer actually wants and work with them on that because I'm sure if, if – if, Say, Richard, you had a, a customer who said, I don't want you to use – I want to leave my leaves. I don't want to do it. You would listen to them and understand that and work with them on that. Like, And if you got to a case where you didn't need a leaf blower, blower I'm sure you wouldn't use it at all. Yeah. Yeah, can, I mean that's a simple – yeah. Yes. yeah. Can I even change that question a little bit <laughs> yeah, and say sure. realistically from our perspective, we're trying to change the perspective and say you, you want to leave the leaves, um, mm-hmm. which – in effect, is making you not need a, a leaf blower at all in that that perspective. Um, but that doesn't mean the service isn't needed. It's just a different different service. It's a different yeah, opportunity. Yeah. yeah. So that that I think where that's where you know the idea of reducing taking that 1960s point of view and having the big expanse of lawn fast forward to 2022 and decreasing the lawn areas. And having less lawn maintenance and having less blowing, so you have area bed areas in perimeters of properties and areas that are hard to grow grass. That's where you leave the leaves or even blow the leaves. You know, I know you don't necessarily want to shred the leaves up if they're on the lawn, but you're moving them around. So if there's any biology that you know, it's on those leaves, they're probably going to get damaged anyway, which is the whole goal of leaving the leaves in the first place. Um, you know, but there's a, you know, like I said, there's a, a choose for care that we need to to follow to some extent. We you know, listen, if it's a regenerative landscape and it goes back to the old growth forests of the Northeast, I'm good with that, right? But that's not, that's the ultimate leave the leaves end game, right? Yeah. It's going to go back to the old growth forest that we have here. And I don't think everybody's going to be on, on, on board with that. I mean, granted, that's not going to take five years. That would take some time. But if we all just gave up, stop managing our properties, you know, that's where we didn't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's okay. It's, I love oak trees. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a good portion of this we've talked is education. So, for, for each of you, how important is education towards your mis- mission and what's some of the education that you're currently working towards to help you achieve your mission and your goals? You want to start, Lori? I would love to. Thank you so much. So, uh, yeah, I think obviously education is in our mission and it's very critical. Uh, we do try to provide well-rounded education so that we're really touching all of our members and in, in what they're looking for. Uh, but, um, you know, like Rick was saying earlier, we have this whole sustainable land care uh, track of education at our trade show coming up. And it's really, again, it's communication and information. It gives the uh, pros the, the information they need to make their decisions on how they want to go about doing business. So if they're looking for more information on how to do things, uh, you know, sustainably, you know, we have to provide that to them. It's our mission. It's our job to do that. So um, sorry, Rick, uh, you know, you're probably going to have some competition out there at some point. <laughs> but, you know, it's okay. – I, I, my, I, my, 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 wife, my wife tells me all the time, she's like, why do you give everybody information? Said, well, they're not going to do it as, as good as we do anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. but – And Rick's one of my presenters, so. <laughs> there you go. I, I really 
have such respect for you, Lori, in what you do because we're talking about uh, this this panel's mission right now, but that's probably not your average mission of your average member, I would imagine. I'm, I'm just speculating, but I would assume – so you're hearing all these voices and trying to do what's best for an organization as a whole, which is not an easy job. So kudos. I, I, I understand what <laughs> what what your 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 average day is and and that's 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 a difficult job yeah and again if we just stay true to our mission by providing the advoc- education and the advocacy you know we try to meet people where they're at and and give them what they they need and hopefully it's a well-rounded you know complete picture that we're giving Christine, how about sustainable Princeton? What's what are some of the the future educational goals moving forward? Um, and and where do you see sustainable Princeton moving or or working towards in the next year? Yeah, our plan for the next year, and also it's just part of our mission is to educate. That is really the foundation of what our organization uh, is about. It's it's built into what we do. Um, we plan on continuing this year um, to work with the landscapers to educate them. Um, as part of the project, we were able to raise um, about $22,000 to help uh, small landscaping companies um, with a $500 uh, reimbursement for uh, an approved uh, battery piece of equipment. So we just launched that last uh, week and are able to take applications. Uh, the criteria is you have to have 10 or less employees and serve at least 10 customers in Princeton. Um, you need to register with Ms. Pality. Ms. Pality has a registration requirement for landscapers. Um, and uh, in tandem with that, uh, we will be working to educate the property owners on um, not just how to transition the equipment if they're using it themselves, but if they hire um, a landscaping professional, how to work with them to um, have a dialogue on changing how you manage your property so that you are, you know, creating a healthy part of our local ecosystem. We're going to be working with the, um, the College of New Jersey Small Business Development Center to have some workshops um, starting next month for landscapers to help them Make sure that they're registered with the municipality, that they're aware of this transition fund, that um, they are required to have um, to show proof of workers' compensation insurance to the municipality when they register. So the SBDC is going to assist those landscapers with um, getting access to that insurance if they don't have it, um, making sure they complete the registration and help them connect to possible um, uh, other types of way to uh, get financial assistance, whether it's micro loans to help them transition the equipment. So we're going to be focused on that, um, for the, for the next few months with the SBDC and then throughout the year, continuing to educate more landscapers. We also, um, when the ordinance got passed, you know, the members of our human services commission and civil rights commission um, wanted to really make sure that the ordinance and the enforcement of the ordinance was not used in any way to intimidate or um, harass the landscaping crews. So we will be continuing to check in to make sure that um, 
the enforcement is happening in, in a way um, that doesn't create, you know, any type of um, uh, fear and anxiety any more than our uh, landscaping workers have in our community. So we're going to continue to check in and make sure that things are going okay. Um, so that's our, our plan for, for this year, but it is, it is part and parcel of what we do is education about our local ecosystem and how we manage our yards. We will be doing that continuously until the problem solved. Have you had any uh, um, <clears throat> homeowners go go rogue on you and and approach landscapers or or, or make them feel anxious or or uncomfortable in doing what they're doing? We haven't heard any direct reports from you know, the landscaping crews. They're not likely to tell you because they're already afraid. So we have been, you know, very much on social media and through all of our communications, really trying to encourage anyone who sees um, a violation um, or noncompliance to one, you know, really first understand that's another human being who may or may not know what the rules are yet. And as much as the sound of the leaf blower might create anxiety in you, which it does to me too, um, you know, take a breath. You know, what didn't change when the ordinance, uh, the seasonal restriction went into place on the 15th was that property owner um, did not change how they wanted that landscaper to change, to, to manage their property. So, you know, it, it will take time. Um, so, you know, we need to go about this in a way that, doesn't try to catch people out in a way that you're just um, looking to get them in trouble. And, and we haven't heard, as I said, we haven't heard of anyone um, complaining about uh, feeling like they were singled out and, 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 and harassed. Um, but as I said, some of the crews who, who may or may not be documented aren't likely going to tell you. So we, we have to keep an eye on it. I appreciate you mentioning that because that's not even a factor I had thought of until you kind of started talking about your goals for the year. Um, Dan, how about AGSA's uh, educational goals for the upcoming year? Yeah, we want to – well, thank you. Uh, first, um, uh, for the immediate, uh, we're going to Alabama um, next week, and we want to continue our workshops that we've done with the NJNLA and with um, Sustainable Princeton uh, doing those in tandem with McCoy Horticultural, um, we're we're very honored, and we 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 just really enjoy bringing the full perspective together to lowering impacts prudently for the industry. Um, nationally, we really want to ramp up our online certification. Um, it's a fifteen lesson course. Uh, it's very affordable. Uh, We just recently packaged something for the L.A. Unified School District. They're responsible for maintenance on a thousand different campuses. They have roughly 200 employees, and we started with the online course. And the person in charge of all these workers said this was amazing because it really got everybody's guard down, gave them a strong foundation, and really softened them up for the in-person class sessions, and then eventually the field sessions. And that's something we're going to mirror and hopefully work out with the NJNLA. Um, And we're just, again, workshops, online courses, and then green zone projects. 
AGSA certified green zones are educational foundations in and of themselves. Wherever we've established one, um, and, and that means routine maintenance, minimal requirements, phasing out two-stroke use for routine maintenance. Once that is built into the community and the industry set, sees that the municipality actually did this on their own, they made the investment, they were independently certified, they are able to utilize those green zones for perpetual uh, education opportunities. So uh, moving forward, workshops, online, and then green zone projects. Thank you for asking. Awesome. And Richard, how about you? Well, I hope to continue to work with the three other people here. And I know we'll be doing podca- uh, podcasts four, five, and six with you guys over the course of 2022. <laughs> so uh, looking forward to that. And obviously working with Lori, Dan, and Christine on, on their projects. So, um, and outside of that, just the usual, you know, the webinars and stuff I do. Um, awesome. my thing really. So there, you know, there's a, there's a point in every rooted discussion that we do where I look and I go, Oh, we have plenty of time. And then it's, Oh, we're running out of time. <laughs> so I just want to make sure we start moving towards, mm-hmm. uh, the last couple questions where we can start wrapping it up. So I guess now that we've kind of laid this out for our listeners, um, both sides, both industry and, and non-industry, where can everyone turn for more information on this topic? Because I'm sure I have more questions that we're not even going to hit. If if people were to have more questions on, on more information on these, what are some of the resources that they can use to become more educated, more informed? Well, certainly AGSA is, is, is a great place to get started. Um, and without sort of tooting our own horn, you can go to our website and follow us on Instagram and, and Facebook. Um, cause we're constantly posting stuff about our projects and think, you know, the in, in education that we're doing with, with these folks and other things we're doing. Um, you know, if you want, I know the whole idea behind the podcast is, is your podcast is a mission of ecology. Um, so obviously reading Doug Talmy's books are awesome. Um, you know, EO Wilson, obviously who just, you know, folks may or may not know just passed. So, um, you know, reading his work is just unbelievable. Um, so that's that's a great place to go. I mean, if you if you start to go back and, and listen to some of these, you know, read John Muir's work and Thorough and and guys like that, that really is what you know, makes me think that there's a lot of hope for where we can take this mess that we've gotten ourselves into moving forward. You know, Aldo Leopold with his land ethic and all that kind of those, those kind of people that sort of set that framework up for an ecological landscape that we've that we've since ignored. Um, you know, so meeting those people and again, you know, following AGSA and JNLA and what they're doing in Princeton um, is awesome. And there's other people too. You know, the New Jersey Landscape uh, Contractors Association is also working with with Lori and AGSA to to put on education programs too. So it's not it's not just one a couple of people. It's it's the whole industry in New Jersey that's really trying to to come around and, and educate people. So um, you know, those groups are certainly certainly awesome. And then, like I mentioned. Are, are always good too. So, so speaking of as, as far as industry education, Lori, your uh, Total Pro Expo um, or the NJNLA's Total Pro Expo is coming up. What are some of the things that, if you're close to New Jersey, that you can go there as far as educational uh, purposes go? Okay, so we kind of overdid it this year. Maybe it's because we didn't have a trade show last year that um, I just couldn't stop. So we have over 44 different tracks of, or different classes over the two days. I know it's a lot, but we wanted to really give everybody what they needed. So 
Uh, obviously, we talked about the Sustainable Land Care Track, which some fantastic presenters, two of which are on this podcast right now. <laughs> and then uh, we do have pesticide credits. So for those that have pesticide licenses, we want to offer that recertification Free and Lord. the education. Pardon me? Free Lord. Free Lord. Oh, Dan. right. Tom, too. Right? Oh, yeah. Tom. yeah. Right. I thought you were talking Part about me. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> So it's great. So we do have a landscape track. We have um, tree care track. You know, so again, we're trying to educate people from the, in the different aspects. So February 1st and 2nd at the Edison Convention Center. So thanks for letting me say that. Oh, and no problem. Our education goes spans not just that's our big event, obviously, mm -hmm. but we have other uh, opportunities throughout the year. You know, we're, we do member meetings that always has an educational component. And then we have a couple other events throughout the year. So. Awesome. Any other resources anyone wants to throw out? No? Okay. I just wanted okay. to say also that um, as far as uh, consumers are concerned, that I think where they should start is actually their landscape professional or their professional retail mm -hmm. garden center. You know, go to the people that, that you work with now, that you have a relationship with now. Ask those questions. Obviously, if they don't know about it, they can find out. And we're always a resource for the professionals as well. Awesome. Awesome. So the next question I wanted to throw because this is one that I, I internally complain about all the time because sometimes you feel misunderstood in what you do for a living and that the average person kind of has a, a misconception of what it is that you actually do. So if you could let the listeners know or, or if there was one thing that you would want to share with the listeners uh, about what you do that maybe they may not realize or a part of what you do that – that they may have the wrong idea about, now's the time to share it if anyone wants to, to throw that out there. No one? All right. I'll, I'll take a All first right. stab at it. All um, right. Well, well first um, – Not that I'm one to complain. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we just uh, build relationships. This is about relationship building, building trust. We've had our best results um, even now, uh, joining everyone on this podcast and, and able to work with, with three of the people here previously, you build those relationships and you're, you're able to network and, and meet people where they're at. And, and maybe you have something that they can use. And definitely I've learned a lot from, from uh, the three people that I've worked with here. So I would say mostly just building trust and relationships and uh, able to provide information for people that want to pursue uh, an alternate path uh, to conventional landscape maintenance and operations. Awesome. Anyone else? Just real quick from an association yeah. standpoint, I just, um, you know, everything that we do, every decision we make, every class we hold, every social media post we do is always with the, you know, the interest of our members or the green industry in mind. So that's every everything we do is just focused on that. We try to, you know, do what's best for the industry. Fantastic. It's, it's I mean, it's boring, but it's simple and but it's true and it's passionate for it, sure. Yeah, I was going to say it's definitely not boring. It's um. Because you have, like Fran mentioned earlier, you have a lot of interest to uphold and balance. And um, and what Rick and I probably treasure in, in the green industry is completely different than what some other folks do. And we need to find that balance and we need to find uh, chart a path that is conducive. 
conducive is a good word. I was going to say fair is a, is another word, but eventually it's going to be unfair to somebody. Um, and uh, yeah, it's but it's got to be in the best interest of the industry as a whole, um, not only the public perspective perception, but towards uh, towards a, a future of that industry as well. It can't you can't make a decision now that's going to completely shut it down <laughs> in the next ten years and, and, or, or fifty years or hundred years. And so. listen, I know, and, and talking yeah. with you, I know things are different than twenty years ago when I was a member of the board. But I was I was part of some some monster seven, eight hour long meeting board meetings where nothing was accomplished because no one could agree. Um, and it's, I, I really feel that's come a long way as well. So it's, yeah. um, and that's not something people see behind the scenes or understand what goes on. It's, yeah. And, and I think I've even referenced it on here before, but I keep going back to that um, Fran's question about having a few bad apples and it really is um Whose perception are you looking through yeah. that views the bad apples? Because I look back to our uh, New Jersey used to have the Invasive Species Council, and I actually had a proposed list of not just plants but other things to watch out for. Um, but the plants in perspe- in particular, it was, hey, these are things that we want to phase out over time. And, um, and you have people from uh, the green industry that were like, oh, this is a good thing. We should be pushing for this. And the other side said, well, I've been growing – this plant or these 10 plants for a hundred years, I have acres and acres of this planted in my nursery right now. If you're telling me I can't sell them, I'm losing in some cases millions of dollars. Um, but from my, like from my perspective, it's like, well, you're doing something that is really polluting our environment. Um, but it's also taking away your livelihood. So it's, there's a lot of nuance that goes, no, and not, <laughs> goes and into not, it. Not all it's, native plants are the same to grow. Yeah. They oh, all yeah. have, or not all plants are the same to grow, and they yeah. all have their different nuances. It's like telling a doctor, all right, you can no longer be a podiatrist. You can only be at ear, nose, and throat. But different, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, you're still a doctor, but there's there's a difference, and it's not as easy to adapt. Yeah. So yeah, you it's... are taking away people's <laughs> livelihoods, and, and, and everyone has the right to fight for their livelihood. Mm-hmm. I completely understand that. So I thought, yeah, I, oh, sorry, go ahead, right. please. Sorry. No, yeah, no, no, go I ahead. Just gonna, I was just going to say real quick, it's, you know, Again, I keep going back to, you know, the industry side of it, well, because of where I'm at. But, you know, really, we're, we've, the contractors, you know, what you hear from contractors as well, this is what the homeowner wants me to do. This is what the home, I do, I'm only doing what the homeowner wants me to do. I'm going to the nursery to buy Berberts and Bergii because the homeowner wants it. Mm-hmm. And at some point, the landscape contractor needs to be the professional. Mm-hmm. Right? And the landscape yeah. contractor needs to stand up and say, well, we're not planting Berberts for this reason. And this is why we don't use it. You know, a lot of people don't go into a restaurant and say, I'd like my steak this way, and then go into the kitchen and make the steak. You know, so, you know, you don't go into the, to the dentist office and say, I need my tooth pulled and pull your tooth yourself. Yeah. Right. So we're like one of the only industries where the homeowner has gotten so much say in what the contractor does. You know, it's, it's sort of, I think it's sort of incumbent on the professionals to step their game up and be that professional and be that voice of what's supposed to be done on a property. And yes, you do have to listen to your clients. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a business. Mm-hmm. But you know that that conversation level needs to needs to escalate over and above and educate the client as to why you're doing things. Um, and and that's a big problem. And it's a whole another on a whole another podcast. I mean, the, the the devaluation of our industry and some of the things that go bad and all that stuff is that's a whole another that's a whole another discussion. But I think that's an important thing to, to recognize that. You know the professionals need to take their need to take their place back and and, and educate themselves so they can educate their clients. 
Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Yeah, and that's, I guess, I where I'm buying. trying to oh, hit. Go ahead, sorry. Bit. Oh, no, Laura, you go first. I was going to say, I think he's fine for another podcast. Yeah, I, I think know. so. I think I so. I think so. But what he's saying is just, it's communication. It's really mm-hmm. communication, you know, uh, to your clients, to the industry. You know, if we keep that open communication, I think uh, that goes a long way. Yeah. It's got to be two-way, not one-way. Yeah, I, and I agree. Rick, what, exactly what you or what you said is exactly what I think I'm I'm struggling with my own head now is uh, is one of the things Fran and I talk about all the time is the reason why more people aren't planning native plants, why they aren't shifting more into using uh, electric landscape materials, or or just having a more uh, conservation minded approach to landscaping in general, is they just don't know and. Mm-hmm. They see what their neighbors have. They see what the the college or, or park or how that's landscape. Golf course is a, a good example and say, oh, that's what I want. But they don't really know the ecological benefits or, or downsides of that, what they want. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, well, yeah, yeah, I agree. You need to have that professional. And you, like you said, you don't go to a doctor and say, oh, yeah, I need my appendix removed. It's. The doctor tells do you, "Hey, this is what's <laughs> what I'm I'm seeing off of your charts, and I I think you need your, your appendix removed. I think you need this or that. It's uh yeah, it's kind of seems like it's been backwards for a long time in our industry. It's no longer a prescription; it's a a self prescription, I guess. Yeah. So I mean, to your point about the the, the neighbor seeing thing, the good thing about that is, is, and you know, we've done a couple installations mm-hmm. where the the people next door or down the street have seen the work that we're doing. And, you know, so that spreads and that's, that's also goes to the Dr. Talmy's homegrown national park, right? Mm-hmm. So you go on their map and you can see where all the connectivity is starting to happen with all those people that are on that map. It's really, I think we've got a long way to go. What are they looking for? 20 million acres. And I think yeah. they're at like 20,000. Yeah. I don't even think there were 200,000 yet. So you got a long way to go, but you know, you see that connectivity that needs to be put back together. Um, and, it, you know, it just had, like I said earlier, it happens slowly. It's not going to be something that happens you know, at the blink of an eye. I agree. So in the uh, best interest of time, I'm going to wrap the last two questions up into one, and we'll go through each person. So I thought maybe, Christine, we could start with you, and we're going to ask the, your, the favorite part of your job and your favorite native plant. We'll kind of package those two together. Favorite part of my job is um, a lot of what I've been – trying to describe throughout this podcast is um, having one-on-one conversations with people and where I learn something from them and they learn something from me. When we, when I feel like there's been some constructive dialogue where we make progress on an issue, um, that is my favorite part. Awesome. Um, the it change happens sort of incrementally and sometimes in very small ways um, that aren't always very apparent. Um, and it, I love that feeling when you feel like you have um, created a connect with some, connection with someone and um, you, you've, it, you, you've come up with a, you know, a way that you want to work together with someone on something, you know, whatever's next. Um, my favorite native plant, well, I'm a native plant novice. So, um, I guess my favorite native plant is whichever one I've tried to grow and comes back after, (laughs) um, yeah. And, um, yeah, 
I, I, I rent, so I don't have my own yard. So I've been trying to put some native plants around the property that I hope my landlord hasn't been minding. I've been doing over the past few years. It's a little bit of gorilla gardening. Um, and I've had some success with things that uh, like Columbine. Awesome. I, awesome. That's just a beautiful little splash of red. Um, and uh, witch hazel. Because okay. I just think that's a cool name. And the, the scent of witch hazel <laughs> has a lot of um, nostalgia for me. So uh, those are my two favorite at this point in time. Awesome. Richard, you want to go next? I know you've given us on two occasions your favorite native plant. So unless it's changed, you don't have to you don't have to throw that one out there again. But what's the, what's your favorite part of your job? Uh, definitely a white oak. And then like a lot of your guests say, uh, you know, whatever native plant I happen to be working with. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll take those two. To, uh, to approach it there, so no problem. Oh, and, and uh, things that I like about what I do, obviously, yeah. uh, this roundtable discussion is you know next to the next to the work I do in the field, talking with folks like you guys, talking with my clients, educating people on you know where we came from, where we got to in 2005, and where we're moving in the future, um, and where this the way this industry is heading in the future is definitely. These discussions we're having are definitely one of my one of my favorite points about what I'm doing, and, and one of the things I'm really become really passionate about doing. So, I really enjoy this kind of this kind of back and forth conversation and educating people. Awesome, Lori. How about you? Okay, two prong on the best part of the job. So it's definitely the relationships. Uh, I just had the pleasure of going down to the Mid Atlantic Nursery Trade Show in Baltimore, first time in two years, and just being able to see people again and and communicate with them and and have a relationship with them is just amazing. So I love that part of my job, but practically the project that I like the most of throughout the year has to be the landscape awards project that we have. So uh, people submit some of their greatest jobs and I have the pleasure of actually opening them up and looking at all the pictures. And it's like Christmas for me. I'm, you know, you, we're in my office, you'd be like, wow, look at that. Amazing. I am always in awe of the work that they do. I'm in awe of the work that they do. So awesome. I just have a very lucky job. Um, don't work a day in my life because I love what I do. <laughs> <laughs> so native plant has to be black eyed Susan, Rutabecchia, uh-huh. Herda, just um, grew up with them in, in my backyard. I have fond memories of, of them being there. So uh, they, they came with me here and uh, you know, just the, the amount of time that they flower and just it's uh, to me, it's unique. So um, that's that. Great choices. Yeah. And Dan, how about you? Uh, the favorite part, yeah, is definitely meeting new people and, and sharing those uh, mutually beneficial uh, interactions, but also the, the travel. AGSA has taken me uh, over to Europe. It's taken me into Asia, um, in mainland China, overseeing assembly lines and, and, and vetting uh, processes of manufacturing electric tools. It's just been amazing. And right now, it's uh, still a lot of that. I get to travel almost, um, or most states um, in the United States, and uh, it, it's just really exciting. Uh, and it takes me places that I would have never gone had I not started and, and doing this with AGSA. Uh, my favorite native definitely is going to have to be the, the California poppy. Um, I've been living in California most of my life. And when you see deserts, like deserts, uh, transformed uh, once a year with, with this uh, beautiful native, it, it is it, it's just breathtaking. So it's definitely going to be the California poppy. Awesome. Awesome. 
It, what great, uh, you know, these are all great choices. Mm-hmm. And I think all, again, I'm, I mean, Richard had said his before, but I think, again, all new things that people hadn't listed in previous episodes. So we always love building to that list. So um, we always end, especially after discussions like this, we always end the show with a final thought. And we give everyone the floor for a minute or two just to kind of use it however you want. If you want to summarize or add something or plug something, we just kind of let you – let you take a minute to to say whatever you'd like to say. And Christy, I'm going to start with you because I just know we're running close on time. Just in case we run short and you have to to bow out, I understand, but we're going to let you start. Oh, thanks. No, I was thinking about something you said at the very start, which I, I wish I could say as eloquently as you did, which is, um, you know, please help me with this change happens sort of incrementally like there's a spectrum on which you have to sort of start um it's not a um you know an abrupt change is it's just not how things happen um so Fran, you said it so eloquently can you repeat that what you said i if i remember correctly it was just about being on different paths or different different parts of your journey and that Sometimes when when sudden change occurs, growth stops, and and yeah. you need the transition period period to continue to grow and learn and and evolve. Otherwise, you're you're taking a key component out of that that yeah. journey. That really resonated with me. I, I truly believe that there. You know, I would say, do is what is the one next best thing you can do on that path to being more sustainable, right? And that is not a bad decision. That is the right decision. And it will lead to the next best thing that we can do together. Um, and that's my parting thought. I- awesome. That's a great parting thought. Thank you. Lori, how about you? Hey, parting thought. I would say just that I hope through this podcast and through everything else that our association does that um, the industry and, and people that listen feel and, and can sense the passion that we have and what we do and everything that we do. Uh, and uh, just hope that we can keep moving that forward. Awesome. Dan? Yeah, I would like to just ask everybody, everyone to keep an open mind uh, moving forward. And um, that means whatever it may be, just keep an open mind and don't be uh, just so f- uh, fixed in, in, in your thought process. And then also um, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank uh, Fran and Tom. I listened to a podcast that Rick sent over um, as an example of what this was. And I just listened to the entire two hour podcast because it, it really pulled me in and I learned a lot, even though it, it wasn't uh, some of the subjects we were speaking of today. So I just uh, also wanted to thank you guys uh, for having myself and, and AGSA on the podcast today. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, thank guess, you. guess like like all of you are what make this podcast happen. So we, we appreciate you being a part of it. Richard, how about you? All right. So I want to thank uh, Fran and Tom for having this, this round table. And I need to tell that the native plants, healthy planet podcast community that you're in very good hands because Fran and I had a fairly good uh, discussion about how we might approach this topic. Um, so he's very protective over his little baby here. So the, the native plants, healthy planet podcast as a, as a very protective Papa. Um, so again, you know, Fran and Tom, I appreciate you guys and Lori, Dan, 
Christine, all the work you're doing. Um, it's just, I think it's really awesome to see, you know, just in the past couple of years that I've been involved with, with these folks, the growth that's happened. And I'm really just excited to see what happens moving forward in the future. I think there's some really, really cool things that are going to be happening. And, and I'm interested to see, you know, we talk about growth. I'm interested to see that growth um, of this industry more sustainably. Awesome. Tom, would you like to go or you want me to go? Yeah, I can go. All I'm right. still kind of working on it in my head. Well, I have mine if you want me to go. You can go. Go okay. ahead. <laughs> so, you know, one thing we, we don't always ask every episode, but we, we happen to ask this episode, what, what is the favorite part of your job? And I don't think we've ever answered that question ourselves. And I had to think about it for a second as everyone was giving these great answers because I didn't have an answer. And the more I thought about it is without a doubt, the the collective knowledge of, of what occurs at Pinelands Nursery and in this industry as a whole is – I mean let's, let's be honest. Um, enlightenment comes with knowledge, and there's so much knowledge between talking to our guests here – and and our coworkers and other people in the industry and and some of the the people we've been privileged to just have basic conversations with that I've I personally have felt more growth in the last fifteen years being here than I had in my previously thirty six years uh, of life prior to this. So, um, and 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 I've changed who I am, as, especially over the last two years with this podcast. And it's be open, be open to change, be open, you know, learn as much as you can. Both sides know what know what it is you're passionate about. Passion is great, but it can't be blind. Know know what you want, what maybe your opposition wants, which maybe there's common ground. There's always common ground, and there's there's always something to, that you can take away from someone else. And and I know Christine was saying something very similar to this. And it's you know learn as much as you can, and whether it be our podcast, other podcasts, have conversations, go to your local garden centers, talk with your local uh, politicians, have have these conversations, have conversations, learn and continue to grow. And that's that's my final thought. Um, yeah. So for me, it was it was basically I know the somehow this leaf blower, especially the gas leaf blower topic, has started to go hand in hand with the the native plant argument. And I think it's kind of doing it us a disservice because it kind of it narrows the native plant message. Uh, I shouldn't say narrows, but it, it reduces it. Yeah. You basically have something that a lot of people can get on board with with native plant message, and then you add on this other thing, and you're going to lose people by adding it in. So I've always been I don't know I, I'm torn on on gas powered leaf blowers, and then this conversation just made me even more confused. I think, but I always come back to you don't. You don't go to like a doctor's office and take away a stethoscope because you don't want them to use it. Now that doesn't have a negative effect on someone, so it's not an exact parallel. But you, the practitioners need those tools in their toolbox. Now you don't want them to overuse them or abuse the tools that they're using. They have to use them in the right cases. But um, if you if you're that passionate about taking away that tool, make sure that there are alternatives that the that they need. The people who are going to be using them have something that they can still complete their jobs with. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know. The whole thing's got <laughs> like a little out of control in a way with the whole leaf blower thing. But I think now we do have alternatives here. Like I went and uh, Rick and I were actually talked about this before, but I went out and bought an electric power chainsaw because we're doing a big habitat management uh, project at our farm. And I prefer to use something that's electric 
and uh, and what I think is helping make a change in a positive direction than uh, than use something gas powered, even though it'd be a heck of a lot easier because I already had something gas powered. It's a lot cheaper if I went out to go buy one. I think I spent like seven hundred dollars on a chainsaw where I could have gotten a comparable gas powered one for maybe two or three. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a complex issue and. Like Fran and and so many other people said, you got to really dig into it a little bit more and understand the impacts that it's going to make if you just take something away. So, uh, but well yeah, said, Tom. Well said. So I've I think I tied it together. I think so. It was too. yeah. I was kind of rambling in my head. No, that's <laughs> all right. Bit, Good thought. Good thought. Yeah, but that will wrap it up. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to our panel. Uh, for more information, you'll be able to visit all their respective websites by following the links on our uh, on our website, nativeplanshealthyplanet dot com. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet, presented by Pylons Nursery. We have new Rooted Discussion theme music. Thank you, Andorra, uh, for submitting new music. We're excited to have this uh, be a part of our podcast. Uh, Andorra, if you're you're into live music, you're in the Philadelphia area. They have a show coming up February 4th at the Kyber Pass Pub, along with Jamie and the Guarded Heart and the Tisberries and – Oh, there's one other band I can't remember. So uh, support your local artist, and we appreciate them contributing to our podcast. you can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, don't forget about the question and, and answer line, question and comment line. We actually have a, a, a bunch of questions that came in over the holiday break, so we're excited on the next buzz to play those. If you call us at 215-346-6189, I will repeat that, 215-346-6189, and you ask a question or leave a comment, we'll play it on a future episode of The Buzz. And we'll answer it to the best of our ability. Um, and the Native Plant Healthy Planet Facebook group, we're close to 900 members yeah. now. So, and and you can see the growth by the amount of votes we're getting on our um, this or that. So, yeah, it's, it's which nice. I was going to bring up and put out a call. I need all my fellow Grinches <laughs> to vote on a uh, <laughs> the, oh, the Christmas on. lights thing. I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden you took a huge lead. I don't know. I was, you, I was up by like four, and then all of a sudden you're up by 15. like we were tied forever, <laughs> and then you were up, and then I was up. So it's. But uh, we no, love a lot of we we love that. So um, keep it going over there. We appreciate it. Yeah. So you can buy T-shirts at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. They have different phrases like "keep it native" and "native plants, healthy planet" and "plant native plants, eat native plants." That's one of my favorites. Yeah. And uh, you can find them on our website, uh, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. You can also listen to our podcast there. But if you're like me or Fran or just about anyone listening, you're probably listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you can find podcasts, you'll be able to find them there. Uh, When you're there, if it's possible, leave a five-star review. Um, In fact, I have a little incentive for our five-star review folks here. Oh. We're going to pick a review that we like the best. Okay. So, so we got to write something in there, but when you write it, you got to pick which one you like. Or we're going, Fran and I are going to pick which one we like the best. Yes. And we just got these like really cool Yeti with our tumblers with our Pilots Nursery logo. So that's a little sweetening of the pot there. Yeah. So whoever writes the best five star review on Apple Podcasts, Fran and I are going to are going to we'll, look through them. We'll give it to our one hundredth ep- episode. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. On our one hundredth episode, we're going to announce the winner. And uh, yeah. Awesome. So that sweetens the pot there. Make sure you write a five-star review, and uh, and then you can get a nice Yeti tumbler. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> With that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone, and to our panel. Thank you so much for spending all this time with us today. We we, we truly appreciate it. Uh, next week, we have a buzz with, like I said, a flurry of questions. So uh, make sure you tune in for those. And uh, 
we really appreciate being here, uh, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.